For those that don't know, I have a six-year-old son named Stephen. I think we have a picture. <laughs> it's a quality picture of my son that I gave them. <laughs> and I vividly remember the day that he was born. Stephen was adopted into our family, but we were blessed to know his birth mother and were able to be at the hospital when he was born. I got to be the first non-medical person to touch my son. And I remember being there in the hospital room, and they had placed him under a heat lamp to keep him warm, and he was crying, as newborn babies do. And they told me I could put my hand on him. And so I did. And in that moment, he turned towards my hand and stopped crying. It was an absolutely incredible moment that I will never forget. I'll also never forget it because it held a brief moment of some of the most intense need that I have ever felt. I have never in my life had a moment where I felt that I had a greater urge to change my life than in that moment. Here I was, a father for the first time, and I was now responsible for another human life. This little baby boy, my son, would be looking to me for how to live and how to act and how to interact with the world, how to interact with God. And that was a scary thought. I knew in that moment there were things about myself that needed to change. How I chose to eat and drink if I expected him to grow up doing healthy, making healthy choices about that. The language that I chose to use about things. How I interacted with other people. How I treated my wife. How I treated my wife's parents. My son would be shaped by how I did all of those things. How I interacted with God. How I talked about my faith. Those were things that I had thought about, but not, I was not really acutely aware of how my choices were affecting other people until I realized someone would be looking intently at everything that I did. And that's what led me to the Deuteronomy scripture this morning. Basically, the point, because the point of the scripture isn't specific instructions. It's not this point for point thing. The writer is not saying that when you lay down, that's when you should talk about God. And when you get back up, that's the moment that you do it again. Sitting, sitting around, going out, lying down, getting up. These are things that represent Everything that you do, when you live your life, as you are going through your life, write it on your door frames, on your forehead. Make your life about these words and recite them to your children all the time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your being and all your strength. And I would add Jesus' other greatest commandment to this, love your neighbor as yourself. And six years later, you know what I found? 
I found that while my desire to change my life has faded a bit, it can get tiring over time, <laughs> my son's desire to be like me hasn't faded at all. He is still watching and learning and remembering and soaking up everything that he sees me do. So I invite us today to make sure that our actions are reflecting who we'd like someone mimicking us to look like. Because as much as this is absolutely true of my six-year-old and all small children that I've ever met, it is also true today of those outside the church looking in and wondering if what we are offering is truly life-changing. We tell them it is, but do our lives reflect it? If somebody were to look at us and try to be like us, would their lives change the way we promised them it would? Because people, much like six-year-olds, don't put up with hypocrisy. So I invite you this morning, whether you have small children or not, to take a look at your own life. And consider what you would change if you knew someone would be copying your life and actions. Amen. I'd like to invite one of our confirmands, Alex Eberhardt, forward. He's a sixth grader at West Middle School, and he's going to share a scripture reading with you this morning. A reading from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Point your kids in the right direction. When they're old, they won't be lost. Well, I told him if he had to sit up here by us, he could get a really short verse, so that was easy. So that was good. <laughs> well, since our daughter Emma was born uh, 12 years ago this month, uh, my wife Michelle and I have tried to do our best to do what our scripture from Proverbs commends. We have tried to point her in the right direction. But as all parents know, parenting is not easy. And I'm still kind of amazed that just a couple of short days after this child enters the world, they release them out into the wild with parents that know very little about anything. Um, that still just is mind-blowing to me. Um, I know how ill-prepared and inadequate we felt. But somehow, with God's help, we muddled through it together. So over the years, we have attempted to use uh, Jesus' great commandment to teach Emma about God's desire for humanity to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. We've tried to cultivate in her a brave, self-giving love that cares for and serves others for the sake of the common good, even when that is difficult or inconvenient uh, for her or sometimes for us. Uh, I know there's times where she's, she's excited to go do something or serve in some way. And I'm just like, Emma, do we really have to go do that today? Uh, but I resist that temptation and go anyway. And I'm always blessed by doing that. Uh, we've discussed with her how sometimes half the battle in following after the way of Jesus is just showing up. It is simply being present. It's about speaking up wherever and whenever your voice is needed. Before she could even walk, we had her 
bundled up in her stroller, marching with us for peace and justice. Later, she made signs with us in our living room and stood on her own two feet in solidarity with others who defend and advocate for those in need because this is part of what following Jesus demands. We're also so proud of how well our daughter has learned the lessons of faith and how she puts following Jesus into action. At first, she served by our side, and then slowly but surely, she began to make her own way. And as we looked on from afar, it became our job just to let go a little bit. And sometimes when I sit back and I reflect, I just marvel at how well she has turned out. Uh, it's miraculous to me because I know that I'm not a perfect parent by a long shot. I'm often grumpy and impatient. I'm distracted, tired, and overwhelmed. And sometimes, instead of my family getting the best of me, they get the worst. But somehow she has been able to see past all of that. And she often says things and does things that I can never uh, take credit for in any way. Uh, things that are so loving and kind that even surprises me. Now as she is in her tween years, I have begun to realize just how much uh, I really don't know about being a middle school girl. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sometimes I'm scared uh, because of all the pressure and stress I see her and her friends experiencing. And I realize no matter how much I want to, I can never provide for her everything that she needs. Sometimes the weight of parenting is almost too much. I've been, I must admit there have been times when I've, I've uh, contemplated uh, sending her off to Culver Military Academy... In times when I thought maybe I'd run off and serve in Guatemala for her teenage years. <laughs> but that's when I remember that wonderful promise that Michelle and I made and the promise made to us as parents by God and by the church at her baptism. You know, sometimes at baptisms, uh, we just say and hear the words and, you know, they're up on the screen, so we just read them without a whole lot of thought, but when Emma was baptized, the words took on deeper meaning because I actually heard them directed to Michelle and I. You might remember whenever we baptize a child in worship, parents are asked, will you nurture this child in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example, they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, to profess their faith openly and to lead a Christian life, to which they respond, we will. What a great and wonderful responsibility this is for parents. Then the congregation, as representatives of the body of Christ in this place, are asked, will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include these persons before you, meaning the person being baptized in their parents or others who bring them to be baptized, will you include them in your care? To which the congregation offers this promise in response. With God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround these persons with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their trust of God and be found faithful in their service to others. We will pray for them 
that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. Our daughter and all of our children will be shown the love of Christ. They will be supported, they will be encouraged, and they will learn to walk in the life-giving way of Jesus because of you. And as parents, we will have the same love and encouragement to live out our vocation as parents. This part of the baptismal liturgy reminds me, and I hope reminds you, of the profound reality that we do not have to try to do everything and be everything for our children, and that we are not alone in the process of parenting. We can count on the love and support of the church, the body of Christ, as we work to raise up our children well. And we can also trust in other members of the body of Christ to step up and to step in when our children need something more than we are able to offer them all on our own. That is why I'm so grateful for the church, for the body of Christ, for the people of God in this place. Because no matter how good a parents we try to be, no matter how well Emma has learned from and experienced our love, she will not know the fullness of love. Until she experiences love from people who do not have to love her like her parents do. But people who choose to love her as the wonderful, beloved child of God that she is. So parents, take heart and remember that you are not alone. We can lean on each other and we can trust in God's grace and love to help point our children in the right direction and shape their future. Thanks to God for this wonderful blessing. The passage that I'm going to share that I hope speaks to parents who have adult children is a story that was told by Jesus in order to teach people about what God was like. You've heard it, the story of the prodigal son, or I prefer to call it the story of the loving father. Before I read this short passage, appreciate the insult that this younger son was throwing at his father when he demanded his inheritance. It was something that just wasn't done. It was like saying in that Middle Eastern culture that I just assume you'd be dead so I can have what's mine. It brought shame upon himself and on his family. It brought up a hardship because they'd had to take tangible assets of property and divide it up prematurely, which made it hard on the whole family. No Middle Eastern father would have granted that, agreed to it. No one would have even thought to ask for it, but this son did. And foolishness, unreasonable it would be for any culture, it was especially so in this Middle Eastern culture. And yet the father grants the request, and then... He must have apparently been looking down that road every day thereafter, longing for his son to come home. And then one day, this is what we hear. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fatted calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead 
and has come back to life. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. I hope you can appreciate how radical of love that this father demonstrated to his son. Because in the first century, a Middle Eastern man never ran. To do so, he'd have to hitch up his tunic, and you would see his bare legs, and no man in in Middle Eastern culture ever showed their legs. It was humiliating and shameful. But have you ever thought why he ran? Well, certainly part of it was that he was eager to embrace his son once again, but even more than that, we understand that in Jewish society, when a Jewish son lost his inheritance, especially among the Gentiles, if he tried to return to the village, there was a ceremony called the kezaza. And someone would take a pot and break it in front of him and yell, you are now cut off from your people. The father was running to him to get to him before any of the villagers could see him. And the father took on the shame himself that his son would have experienced. And then the village had no choice but to follow the lead of that patriarch. Because of that father's extraordinary love, the son was humble and repentant. And he restored not only back into the family, but into the community as well. Well, there's much we parents can learn from this, probably parents of any age. The first thought that jumps out at me is that sometimes it is by letting go of our children that we're taking the first step towards regaining our children. If you've ever had a child going down a path that you don't like, sometimes you just got to let go. It's hard to let our children choose a path that's foolish to us, but it is their life and their path. I researched with my four children, and I asked them, what do they need from me at this stage of their lives? And one of my daughters remarked, well, I don't appreciate unsolicited advice. We need support, not judgment. It's especially frustrating when grandparents undermine the discipline that we're trying to instill in our children. It's one thing to spoil your grandchildren, but sometimes we can step over the line. The second thought, the father in this parable demonstrates that while we may love all of our children equally, sometimes we have to love them differently. We hear that about that older son, don't we? That older son has been there all the time, and he complains when he sees the father throwing this lavish party for a son who has brought shame to the family. But the father says to him, I have been there for you constantly. But now my son who is lost has now been found. And so he shares that extraordinary love. Sometimes we give our children what they need, not what they deserve. And the last thing to point out, maybe the most important thing, is how that younger son, in spite of that shame, in spite of being a long way from home, And knowing that he didn't deserve anything, somehow knew it would still be okay to come home. That father had instilled a sense of home in him. And no matter how old we get, we still represent home to our children. We provide those home-cooked meals. We are the keeper of the family traditions. We gather the family together in a mobile society that seems to be putting more and more distance between us. My children shared 
some appreciation for the home that we've been able to provide. My daughter Kelsey and I talk about every week. We share a lot of the same responsibilities in our jobs. We bounce things off of one another. And I've learned to be that person that doesn't have to have all the answers, just has to be there and listen and hear. My children remarked about the traditions that I maintain, making that pineapple cheesecake with that unique family recipe we have for each of their birthdays, or gathering together to go to Hoosier Hysteria, or hosting a summer vacation and gather whoever can make it. I even saw in my son, who's not always the most relational, he called me up a month before Christmas this year and said, Dad, I was thinking to make sure we got rooms for everybody, what if I reserve a couple rooms in the hotel there in Noblesville and we'll get one with a swimming pool so that the grandkids can swim? And I'm like, who is this? But he's picking up on that family connection and pulling us together. And finally, my daughter, Sasha wrote this. Adulthood can be hard. Supporting us through it simply by allowing us space to not have it all together is something we need. And then she shared this from a website she'd come across recently. One day when my children are grown, I hope they'll still come through the front door without knocking. I hope they head to the kitchen for a snack and slump on the sofa to watch TV. I hope they come in and feel the weight of adulthood leave them where they are home. For my children, my door will always be open. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the sharing of the heart and the insights that have been shared as we go through the stages of life. Parenting is not easy. Growing up is not easy. We thank you for your presence that, that continues to give us hope and instills in us that constant love. May we love our children unconditionally in the same way that you love us. This is our hope and prayer on this day. Through Christ we pray. Amen.